Welcome to Slate's Spoiler Specials. I'm Allegra Frank, Senior Editor at Slate, and today I am joined by Matt Desum, Slate's Browbeat Night and Weekends Editor. Hi, Matt. Welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I'm really excited because I feel like you're the best choice to spoil this film with me. I, I feel weird calling it a film, frankly. <laughs> it's a movie. It's it a is, movie. It Let's... is a movie in the purest sense of the word. Um, because today we are spoiling for you Godzilla versus Kong, which uh, is streaming currently on HBO Max. It's one of those movies that was part of that deal to, you know, it's going to be in theaters and it's going to be on streaming simultaneously. And I can definitely see this being a, a movie meant for the theater. But before we really get into all of my annoyed thoughts about this. I'm going to throw to you, Matt. What did you think of Godzilla vs. Kong? I mean, it's, it is it is what it is. That, that would be my review in its entirety. You get to see Godzilla fight King Kong, as promised. Um, and if you're expecting more than that from a movie that, with the title Godzilla vs. Kong, then it's probably not the movie for you. You know, it's no masterpiece, but it, it definitely has big monsters punching each other, which, so if that's mostly what you're looking for, you will be happy with this film, I'd say. <laughs> and I mean, I feel like it's unfair to expect anything else. So we'll get into we'll get into why, though, I did come away from this being <laughs> less than satisfied, because the film does actually sort of, oh, see, I said film. I think the, the movie <laughs> is masquerading a little bit more than it should as a film. Um, and we'll talk about the, the parts of the, of Godzilla versus Kong that don't involve Godzilla or Kong. But the parts that did have, you know, the giant dinosaur and the giant monkey beat each other up. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Very, very fun. Very silly. What else do you want? I mean, I am a I'm Team Godzilla. Are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong here? I I got to go with Kong. I mean, he's the more oh. anthropomorphic of the two. I just <laughs> I just don't understand what's going on in Godzilla's brain most of the time. I'm afraid <laughs> his literal lizard brain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is sort of the capper to Warner Brothers monster verse sort of, uh, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe type film series that started back in 2014. There have now been a few different Kong and Godzilla movies where independent of each other. And now they, the two are intersecting in Godzilla vs. Kong. You mentioned Kong Skull Island. Uh, that one sort of really leads us directly into this being that we open on Skull Island, where we are greeted by Kong, but really his human, his human compatriots, I guess we'll call them, where he is being overseen by a scientist played by Rebecca Hall, who is studying him. Um, he's kind of like in captivity now on Skull Island, basically alone, following the events of that film, which I never saw. <laughs> so you can fill me in if there's anything important that I missed. But so there's Rebecca Hall and then her pseudo child uh, named Gia, who is this deaf girl who I believe she found on Skull Island. Like all the other people there were killed off and Gia survived. Um yeah, I, I mean, I think these movies in general have kind of a hard time dealing with the fact that the previous movies in the series all end in, you know, just world chaos and destruction or whatever. But um, but yeah, the basic idea there is that Kong Skull Island, that, would, that was set in the 70s. It's um, sort of uh, John Goodman plays the part of like the movie producer from the original sort of. But in this case, he's like a military guy who wants to explore this island where he believes there are. Maybe, uh, it's not military. I guess he works for Monarch, this government agency that looks into giant monsters or something. They go off there, and it's sort of a riff on um, Apocalypse Now itself, a riff on Heart of Darkness or whatever. Um, 
So it has all of those visuals. Skull Island looks kind of like uh, Cambodia in, 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 in Apocalypse Now. Um, and, you know, in the original film from the 30s, there's a tribe of natives that lives on the island with King Kong and sacrifices people to him and whatever. And, and the sort of um, Kong Skull Island version of that is this uh, tribe that resembles Kurtz's tribe in... Um, in Apocalypse Now, you know, they got all the face paint and all of that. And and uh, rather than kind of um, find some other way to update and make that trope less offensive in this movie, they just seem to have killed off that tribe entirely, except for her. Somehow in 50 years, they've gone from like, you know, several hundred people or however many down to just this one surviving uh, deaf girl who can talk to Kong. And they don't ever explain that, why they all died or what happened on the island or any of that. It's just there's just one left and she's the uh, adorable girl who can communicate with King Kong. Right. Thank you for explaining all of that because I literally, as someone who never saw that movie and kind of walked into this thinking it is what it says on the tin, like I had no, none of that context at all. Yeah. Like it really yeah. does not give you any of that. <laughs> I, I mean, well, but, but because the more of it it gives, the more you realize like what on earth happened between 1972 and 2020 right. that they have built this gigantic dome and, you know, the end of it, they sort of, of, of the original movie, they escape Skull Island and, and leave, you know, mm-hmm. um, which seems like kind of what you would want to do with Skull Island. But, uh, but, but clearly we, not. So, yeah, no, because we see Kong going through his, like, Skull Island day, and he looks a little older than he did in uh, Skull Island. He's got gray fur or whatever, um, and, you know, takes a shower, wanders around, and then uh, picks up a tree trunk and fashions a spear out of it and throws it at the sun, which shatters, and we reveal that he's inside this gigantic dome, which doesn't really look big enough to be of much use in containing Kong, like from the exterior shots or whatever, but uh, they've they've built this fake environment on Skull Island for him, which he's not happy about. Right. So basically we are greeted with angry Kong is where we're at. Yeah, he's not happy to be locked up. And um, so there's this company called, or company organization evil group called Monarch, uh, which can you explain a little bit who they are? <laughs> Wish me luck, right? If there's because a way. Yeah. Okay. So Monarch is this government agency that is sort of, that sort of knows what's going on and is studying these giant monsters since has been doing so since the fifties. And then in Kongsville Island in the seventies, John Goodman is working for them and launches an expedition that they're funding. Their role is not all that clear in the, I guess they're still in charge of like monitoring these monsters in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and the third third movie in the sequence. And in this one, they're sort of, they sort of don't know what, it, it's hard to tell what to do with them because they they can't be the villains. And this script has an evil corporation that shows up for the first time in this movie. So Monarch isn't that, but it, it, it's again, it's one of those things where if you pull one thread on the story, the whole thing collapses. And I don't think there's any way to show like what Monarch's day-to-day work is supposed to be without it being ludicrous. So we see them basically like they run monitoring stations where these monsters live and they seem to be in charge of like refugee camps after these monsters blow things up but they are not um anti-monster they're just sort of a monster study group i guess i feel like they're a monster study group that's kind of dumb because yes (laughs) essentially yeah they're just like a very dumb monster study group so rebecca hall as we mentioned (laughs) she is a scientist who's studying the monster here and she understands that okay we should keep kong away from you know the rest of humanity but monarch disagrees and wants to take him off skull island but rebecca hall's character whose name is eileen is like no that's a really bad idea because godzilla's out there and kong and godzilla are destined to fight they are ancient rivals which is a very (laughs) very uh contrived way of you know just setting up okay we're gonna have these two beat each other up now I love it though. Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I genuinely love that kind of dumb exposition that just doesn't make any sense. She has some speech about how there's, uh, yeah, they have an ancient rivalry that's part of like the mythology of the now all dead Skull Island native tribe, the Iwi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, you can't make any effort to explain what that would mean or why it would exist or whatever. So they don't. They just say, you just fact, they're rivals. They have an ancient rivalry. They hate each other on site. You know, I mean, there's a whole lot of that where it's just like, we're, we're going to give you exactly enough details to know why this matters for our plot and absolutely no details that invite you to think about how this world would actually work on a day-to-day basis because none of it would. But, right. uh, Which again, um, like, is fine. But as you said, you know, once you're pulling apart these threads or like looking into it or thinking about it more for more than 30 seconds, 
it really just kind of muddies up the film for me, the movie, yeah. because it, because it's trying to have this like more filmic, okay, we have a plot here. And I really <laughs> feel like the movie is further complicated be after after this because that's how it opens. So after the opening of like Kong's on Skull Island, we cut away to something that is completely less fun and monster movie. It's Brian Tyree Henry, who I love. We all love him. But he is playing this like conspiracy theorist who has a podcast, which is, you know, that's how they really show this is a modern day movie because he is a podcaster. And he works at this like cybernetics company called Apex. And they, I mean, it's kind of unclear to me what they really do. Yeah, but, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, we see that like they're a cybernetics company and we see an exterior shot and they have like like nuclear cooling towers at their facility for no real reason. And then the company's introduced with a brief sort of montage from the founder, uh, what's his name, Walter Simmons, played by Demian Bashir. Uh, and, and yeah, and he just talks basically in vague terms about expanding human potential. And um, I think... Maybe they're a Boston Dynamics clone. Like there, I think there were some shots of some robotic things, and obviously later they get into robotics. But just a total nonsense company, just a, a faceless evil corporation, Apex. Yeah, and Brian Tyree Henry plays a guy named Bernie, uh, who's a podcaster who works there, and he's sort of trying to be the whistleblower on it. Um, you know, he's doing this podcast where he talks a lot about what's going on inside the company. And he, it's like an anonymous podcast, which is so silly because it's not like he's masking his voice or anything. So you would think, and apparently it's fairly popular with the kind of group of people who would care about this thing. But, uh, you know, no one seems to have uh, called him out for this, this podcast and for leak, presumably leaking information about what's going on in there, which most importantly involves Godzilla. So Godzilla actually ends up uh, attacking the facility, attacking the Apex facility. And Bernie uh, ends up kind of using this opportunity to find out what's going on deeper inside Apex that might even attract Godzilla there. Yeah, so there's there's this tension in these movies that I think they don't really, uh, there's not really a good way to deal with, which is that they they want to be these big swashbuckling action adventures, but cities just get destroyed in it. So every now and then, this movie in particular, I noticed, will have like a little moment where it's like, but nobody really got hurt. And this is one of those. Like you see, so he's like sneaking into the Apex facility, Bernie, going someplace he's not supposed to be. And then Godzilla attacks Pensacola and specifically attacks the facility he's in. And we see just chaos. I mean, we see him kill two people on screen um, and we see him bat down, you know, fighter planes and throw one into like a crowd of screaming people running down the street. But at the end of all of that, there's a news chyron that says like eight people killed, however many injured, um, which seems really optimistic. (laughs) I mean, buildings are falling over and stuff. Right. Um, But, uh, you know, and it does that a lot because it's sort of a, I I mean, I don't really know how you would resolve it if you're making one of these movies, because it's like, if you look at like the original Godzilla 54, it's, clearly about uh, nuclear war. It's about why would you drop atomic bombs on human beings? It's It's got that anxiety and just horror at that kind of thing going on in it. That's sort of what fuels it. And you can't, you can't do that if you're rooting for Godzilla. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just kind of a fundamental problem with this. Like, you can't do these without them knocking over buildings. But if you knock over buildings, the, you know, it's the same thing as the Avengers having New York City get just wiped out but nobody really gets hurt or half of humanity disappears and things are more or less okay five years later like right that's always something that really you know i struggle with watching these like ethically and obviously that's part of me going far too deep into the meaning of a monster movie (laughs) but i also do think it's worth bringing up because this is something that happens a lot in this movie is there's a lot of physical damage that presumably would kill thousands of people. And we see it much later on when we actually get to Godzilla versing Kong. Um, But, you know, even in the beginning, it's already setting us up for, oh, this movie 
doesn't it like it clearly cares a lot about some things like setting up this whole apex conspiracy and the podcast but doesn't care about other things which is the human cost of this um yeah but it sort of wants you to think it does like that's yeah. that's the thing about i mean like i feel like if you just do the and actually that's one thing i like about kong skull island is it it that that movie does not give a shit about human life like, <laughs> at no at no point uh, i mean the human deaths are are slapstick and great slapstick, frankly, um, if you can get beyond the point that you're seeing. Uh, and this doesn't really doesn't really do that. To the extent it has jokes, they tend to be designed to reassure you that everything's basically okay. Like there's right. another point where where I don't know if it's Kong or Godzilla, but he's on an aircraft carrier and just like throws a plane at one of them throws a a, a plane, it picks it up off the runway of the carrier and just hurls it at the other creature. At, smashes into them and explodes. But they take the time to show a shot of the guy in the cockpit after being picked up and thrown, mm-hmm. successfully ejecting from the thing, and then you see him parachuting to safety in the background. Meanwhile, <laughs> like an entire aircraft carrier is is sinking in the background. Right. With <laughs> however many thousand people, we don't spend time on that. But every now and then, they want to let you know, like, basically the people are okay here. Absolutely. And this makes me think a lot about um, how the movie also tries to emotionally manipulate us to care about the characters, like the main characters. That's something that it really is bogged down by because, so we have Eileen, Rebecca Hall, and this young girl that she's taking care of who we are presumably supposed to care about, right? And there is that human cost element there of her relatives, her family. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that Monarch got killed mysteriously right. in the last 50 years, and we're right. not going to talk about that, though. <laughs> yeah, but then we also have, you know, Millie Bobby Brown and her father, who are both yeah. in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Well, I mean, yeah, let's go Let's go back to the thing, because so mm-hmm. so after this after this mysterious attack on Pensacola, then we meet Millie Bobby Brown, and she was, she was in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and in that one, she's the daughter of a couple, both of whom are studying these monsters, and a strange couple, I should say. The <laughs> mom uh, goes a little bonkers and uh, decides to unleash all the monsters to cleanse humanity or something. Oh, good. And Kyle Chandler is the dad, and and uh, the, the the mother dies in the you know in the last movie, so she's not there. So that's kind of the basic underlying thing in their in their relationship is that Chandler lost a son, and his wife to this monster does not like them. Millie Bobby Brown, uh, her character's name is Madison Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, she is Godzilla sympathetic, I guess I would say. Um, and yes. so we see her in, we see her in, she's in high school in Florida. She's a fan of Bernie's podcast. After the Pensacola attack, she goes up to talk to her dad, tries to convince him that Godzilla must have had a reason to destroy Pensacola. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, kind of encourages him to consider the, the lizard's motives, uh, which he's unwilling to do. Right. Because he's coming from Japan. Why is he coming to Pensacola from Japan? You know, like she's the only one really asking this question. Yeah. So that's so that's their dynamic. And then we get the most ludicrous characters in the entire thing, which are new ones this time. We go we go from there to a uh, a university in Philadelphia. I think it's the University of like theoretical. It's it's it has some bogus fake science name. And there's a professor there. Uh, named Nathan Lind, who's played by Alexander Skarsgård, who's written a book about his theories that the Earth is hollow and full of giant right. monsters. The hollow Earth theory, which we hear so much about from this point yeah. forward. Exactly, exactly, because they gotta got to get ready to go there. And Walter Simmons, the CEO of this mysterious cybernetics company, and his CTO, uh, a guy named Ren Serizawa, who's played by Shun Oguri, um, meet with, sneak, like, kind of sneak into his office late at night to meet with this this professor and tell him that they are... Uh, funding a voyage to Hollow Earth, which is how, of course, the professor's brother died in events that are not on screen. Trying to reach <laughs> that there definitely because, warrants, and of course, like that is definitely one of those things where it's foisting a backstory for us to care about these characters who are incredibly wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what it would do to your psyche to like be missing a sibling who died because of gravitational inversion forces on a journey to hollow earth, mm-hmm. which I think is how they explain this, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't make any, I mean, you know, none of this makes any sense, but um, you know, for the purposes of the movie, apex has developed a, what do they call a, a hollow earth aerial vehicle or a heave, which can uh, survive gravitational inversion, which I guess is something that happens to you when you go down one of the tunnels under the center of the earth and gravity somehow inverts. I don't know. It's not, it's not clear at this point or at any point in the movie. Um, 
and Lind um, says he'll do it, but he wants King Kong to kind of be a guide dog. Like he thinks King Kong will, I mean, because gravitational inversion in hollow earth is not enough pseudoscience for one scene. They also introduced the idea that Kong has genetic memories right. of his ancestors, which will allow him to find his way back to hollow earth. So if they just let him go and follow him, uh, let him go at the entrance at one of the tunnels, which they've dug one in Antarctica, he will follow them back. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lynn goes to talk to Eileen Andrews and says, Hey, we want to take Kong to the center of the earth. Um, and she says, sure, let's, let's do it. Um, and then the next time we see King Kong, they've somehow sedated him and gotten him aboard like a gigantic yeah. cargo barge. Absolutely dead ass asleep. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> it's another one. It's another one of those. And then something happens that we're not going to show you because the CGI would be expensive and we don't have like a plausible way they would yeah. and drag this guy <laughs> onto the boat. Right. Um, but so he's chained up on the boat and they are, you know, headed towards Antarctica. Uh, Apex has gotten like a giant Navy escort for this uh, thing. And we meet uh, Simmons' daughter. Her name is, I guess, Maya, mm-hmm. uh, played by Aisa Gonzalez. And she has basically the part. She's the really unlikable, incredibly rich jerk female leader who is clearly not going to survive the, the mission. Like right. they couldn't do more to make you dislike her as they do you know, in, in, in her introduction, she's just a jerk to everyone. Yeah. She's, she sucks. <laughs> My <laughs> eyes literally are, were glazing over. Thank you for taking, taking on the uh, pseudoscience part that justifies everyone coming together. Because during that, I was like, when can we see some people, some monsters beat up some monsters? What is going <laughs> on? Like the whole, first of all, Alexander Skarsgård is far too, Please forgive me for saying this, but he is far too beautiful to be playing this character. You know, like, <laughs> it's very hard to make him look like a sad, very, uh, a, a sad boy scientist who believes in some very wacky theories. You know, so that already took me out of this. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Like, that character, the the sort of the scientist with the ideas no one belongs, like, that's usually like the Rick Moranis or the Jeff Goldblum role exactly. or something. It's not, exactly. It's not, I, 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 feel, I feel like Skarsgård would probably be able to sell this theory and make a fortune selling books about it. Right. Like, he is prototypical hot professor all the girls would have a crush on, you know, but he is sitting in this office sad and alone and mourning his brother. Totally fair. Just not very believable. Yeah. Um, yeah so you've basically set up the whole Kong part. So we, you know, there's a kind of Kong plot and then the Godzilla plot. So we understand, you know, over Apex is trying to figure out, or at least <laughs> Bernie is trying to figure out why Godzilla came to Pensacola what's going on that would attract him, et cetera. And then we have uh, Nathan and Eileen going down to Hollow Earth uh, with Kong's help to figure out how to get in there in the hopes of being able to lure Godzilla. So we have the setup now to kind of uh, make those two plots dovetail, but they are going on sort of parallel tracks. So back to the Godzilla side of things, Madison is now trying to team up with Bernie, who she is a huge fan of. She loves his podcast. So Madison is on the, on the path to find Bernie, who she is a huge fan of, loves his podcast. And she decides to bring in her friend, Josh, who is for some reason from New Zealand, or at least he has a very strong New Zealander accent, uh, played by Julian Dennison. There's no explanation, which maybe they don't need one, but I just always find it funny when, like, Millie Bobby Brown is a British woman, and she has to put on a pretty bad American accent, and then we have this kid who just has his very thick New Zealand accent, and there's no reasoning. So they end up finding Bernie through some stupid hijinks that... It was just weird. Like, it was far too easy for these kids to find this anonymous podcaster whose own company apparently can't figure out that he's the one leaking info about them. But regardless, he he ends up meeting Millie, Bobby Brown, Madison, and Josh, and they decide to work together to figure out what's going on with Apex, and they will break into Apex together. Uh, Bernie is especially taken with the fact that, you know, Madison was a part of the events of the previous Godzilla movie, you know, with her dad and her mom (laughs) being directly involved with uh, the last time anyone saw Godzilla in in the U.S. Yeah, yeah she's she's Godzilla 
royalty. But yeah. given that yes. the reason she's related to that story is that her mom tried to essentially wipe out the planet with help from right. Charles Dance or whatever, it's not clear why he's that thrilled to meet her or why yeah. he thinks she would He's like, oh, him, your mom was the one who tried to kill all of us. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now we sort of have our uh, Godzilla plot in motion. And I found this, I'm sure we can talk more in detail about this, but I found this half of the movie, this track of the movie to be so freaking boring. The Godzilla half in terms of, you know, Madison, Bernie, and Josh trying to figure out what's going on at Apex. It was like, it wasn't quite a heist movie. It was like silly hijinks in this really drab looking lab. And just none of those characters were interesting. The only interesting part of any of them was Bernie being this neurotic, uh, you know, nut job podcaster, which immediately evaporates once they have this actual mission and he meets people who believe in him. There's no, nothing animating that part of the movie that is interesting to me. So when they cut back to it, because it is, you know, what's leading us to this convergence of, oh, we find out Apex is bad and we're going to see Godzilla now because Apex is attracting Godzilla. I just don't care. I'm just like, okay, go back to the Kong stuff, I guess, but I don't even like the Kong stuff. Were you as, as turned off by that half? I mean, you know, again, like, I'm just waiting for the people to start punching each other in these movies. But, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. But, I mean, that said, like, I also don't find the stuff about the mystical connection between King Kong and the last surviving Skull Islander to be particularly interesting either. I mean, it's just like... Don't get me wrong. Completely boring. Yeah, the human stuff is never never any good. But, you know, it's not dull. Is the thing that happens right as they're breaking into Apex, which is Godzilla meets Kong... And the convoy, and they have this gigantic battle uh, atop the waves, which right. I, I mean, I, I like that section. That's that's what I'm deserving. We for. are, f- yes, we are finally at the Godzilla versing Kong part. Um, <laughs> oh, the thing that was going in my head, I don't know if you're an It's Always Sunny person, but there is an episode, and I think it's it must be Charlie, and I, I guess like they're <laughs> fighting with someone in in the episode, and Charlie keeps yelling, "Okay, who are we versing? Who are we versing?" <laughs> <laughs> and it is so funny, and I think about that all the time. So, like, just imagine me watching this movie and sitting through this human crap and th- shouting in my head, who are we versing? I thought we were versing people. <laughs> so, finally, Godzilla is versing Kong. Yeah. So, please, this is when you got you got more into the movie. Because I, I will say at the end, again, I just kind of was checked out the whole time. But, finally, Godzilla and Kong, face-to-face. Tell us about this wonderful first encounter. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Kong is chained to this boat and Godzilla realizes that Kong is about and they have an ancient rivalry. So of course he swims across the globe to come sink that boat, I guess. Um, and basically the Navy attacks Godzilla. Godzilla doesn't care. Um, Godzilla sinks a bunch of ships and he takes the boat that Kong is on and manages to flip it upside down with Kong chained under the water, essentially, and everybody on the ship upside down. Um, and I think it's Lind who does it, um, presses the button, who releases him from his chains. They fight underwater. The largest boat in the thing is that, in the convoy, is that um, cargo ship, and it's gone. So they swim over to a carrier and, you know, punch each other out atop that. And that's where the scene comes where somebody picks up a fighter jet and throws it directly at, at Kong. But basically they, yeah, it's an interesting fight because Godzilla can swim. Kong sort of can swim, but not when Godzilla is dragging him underwater. And, um, but they basically jump boat to boat to boat across the ocean. Like it's kind of a, a fun set piece. I thought, uh, just in terms of the, the fight actually taking place aboard these rapidly sinking <laughs> Navy boats, none of which are built to, to support Kong or Godzilla. Like I don't, uh, the scene of them, you know, jumping a hundred feet and landing on the carrier and the carrier not immediately <laughs> going right. to the bottom is a strange credulity of it. But um, yeah, kind of a good fight. Essentially, Godzilla wins this fight. He drags Kong underwater. Kong is drowning, but the Navy at the last minute uh, shoots a bunch of depth charges, which get Godzilla to release Kong. He swims back up, pulls himself atop the uh, by now righted cargo ship and passes out. Um, Godzilla's still around, he resurfaces, and the people on the convoy realize that for some reason, uh, if they cut the power on the boats, Godzilla will leave them alone. It's not really clear how that works, but it right. works. So they, they go dead in the water, the, you know, the surviving ships of this convoy. You don't, if there's any effort to like launch a rescue operation for the people. 
people on the other boats, you don't see it. But no. they, um, <laughs> uh, they, they just kind of sit there, and Godzilla goes away, um, which I guess would, you know, I mean, some rivalry, right? I know. So if we're keeping score, Godzilla won, Kong none so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is obviously not our big battle this is right this is their first encounter pensacola florida negative one or whatever yes pensacola (laughs) negative one skull island negative one i guess exactly kong is out at zero and godzilla is at one um yeah so finally we're getting a fight but of course it is not the big climactic fight but i do appreciate that you know there there are is some fighting ahead of what I would imagine to be like, you know, the big one, the big fight, which we do get yeah. to later on. Because I was kind of going and thinking, okay, Godzilla versus Kong is going to be one big, very long, earth-shattering fight. So there are these little teaser uh, scrimmages, maybe, uh, on the way um, as we are traveling to Hollow Earth. Because, you know, this happens... Not fairly early in this movie because this movie felt interminable and everything felt like it went on forever. So not even sure how how long into the movie we are. Could be three hours at this point. But uh, <laughs> we know there's still some some a ways to go. Yeah. So yeah, we're on we're on the road to getting to Hollow Earth. We have seen Godzilla and Kong confront each other for the first time. But now things are going back to plot heavy and you know, pseudoscience after that reprieve. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, clearly the, yeah, we got, I saw somebody on Twitter call this like the Tron section of the movie. Like the director was just like, okay, but for 10 minutes you have to make Tron. And so that's, that's what happens. We go back to Apex where Bernie and the kids are breaking in and they discover an elevator that goes to a secret sub-level way beneath the Pensacola thing. And although everything is rubble above, people are still working away there. Yeah. Um, and it turns out to be like a Hyperloop station, like an Elon Musk sort of thing. Um, they get into like, they hide from guards in this this car, which then gets moved onto a conveyor belt and rocketed off underground to Hong Kong. Apparently Apex has been um, doing a lot of tunnel construction, uh, you know, across the globe. It's not clear if you're going west or east or whatever, but they're in this just neon craft in a neon tunnel the entire tunnel's lit right like isn't mm. uh, i assume yeah for some reason they they illuminate this thing that's used to ship cargo underground across. yeah very very well constructed uh, yeah. for human transport as well as uh, cargo transport which is curious exactly it's it's kind of funny like Madison ends up later on calling her dad, and she's like, I'm in Hong Kong. It's like, it's, <laughs> yeah. How long no. did it take? It is very fast. Well, they were chatting. Yeah, I think that you see a speedometer at something. It's like more than 600 miles an hour or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they have to get to Hong Kong immediately for plot purposes, so they put in this neon sequence. Unfortunately, they've gotten into a cargo ship with a bunch of uh, eggs, I guess, of these creatures from Skull Island from the 70s movies, these horrible Skull Walker things, I think they're called. Um, but they don't know whether they're there. So we just kind of leave them traveling along in the, in the hyperloop tunnel and then go back to Kong and Kong, since they can't power up the boats, somehow Godzilla will detect the electrical systems on the boats, but he won't detect the electrical systems of this just massive helicopter convoy that apparently reached the center of the ocean without, again, it's one of those things where we just kind of cut to much later in the story because you don't want to think about what happened here, but they're carrying Kong along in a, in a, in a, in a cargo net. Uh, which I think is a thing that they're doing because that happens in Kong versus Godzilla in like the 60s. Oh, it's like a nice throw. Yeah, he gets helicoptered in to fight Godzilla at the end of that one. And mm-hmm. I think that's why they they built this this ludicrous thing into this. But it's it's silly. They um uh they they have reached Antarctica by helicopter from the middle of the Pacific somehow. Um, I guess midair refueling, and um, they drop Kong off at the Hollow Earth Station, which is just this entrance to a tunnel that supposedly leads to the center of the earth. And it's not clear how much of that tunnel has been dug by humans and how much of it was there. Like there's a lot of, when you actually see him go in it, they've built up the inside, like the inside of the death star or something. There's lots of scaffolding. and Yeah. Which I, again, there is a lot of work put into this thing that most people think is ridiculous. This hollow earth situation, which is, uh, again, very bizarre and silly. And uh, of course I overthought it because that is how my brain works. They have a lot of money, Apex, to spend on theories that most people don't believe, apparently. Right. But, yeah. So you said this is like the Tron the Tron part. So talk to us a little bit about what happens once we actually go into Hollow Earth for the first time. Or at least 
the the tunnel to Hogwarts. Yes, yeah. So that too. Uh, so they figured out by this point earlier in the movie that Gia can actually talk to Kong, that she's taught him sign language. Um, and so they use her to tell Kong that his family might be at the end of that tunnel or whatever. So so he takes off and everyone else rushes to those high-tech, you know, gravity inversion surviving uh, hollow earth vehicles and chases after him. And, and um, then there's sort of a, a well, they, so the Tron I think is more like the neon hyperloop thing, but this section has mm. these kind of weird spaceship things following Kong down this tunnel. Um, and this one draws, I think more from 2001. You have mm. like a lot of close-ups of people looking out the, the, to represent gravity inversion. For some reason it involves a lot of flashing lights. Um, uh, so yeah, you get the 2001 montages of people's faces with lights flashing on them as they go through the horrible forces of gravity inversion. And then they come out into hollow earth, which is like basically skull Island, same vegetation, same sort of, um, right. Uh, uh, thing, except that instead of like a, a sky, there's another horizon above it. It's like this, this hollow area between two landscapes, I guess, one facing up and one facing down with sort of like a, a zero gravity thing in the middle, uh, of that. Um, and, uh, so Kong gets there, he loves it. Um, and you know, I mean, he's home or whatever. So they follow him running around there for a while. Uh, they're like statues of apes and he figures out, Kong figures out how to get from one landscape to the other by kind of climbing a mountain, jumping past the point of zero gravity and landing on the other one, whatever, yeah. hollow earth. Fantastic. <laughs> Truly whatever. Um, yeah. something that these movies do well, <laughs> I guess I can say well, is that they, are filmed oftentimes in places like New Zealand that have very expansive, beautiful, untouched uh, air areas of forestation, you know, very green. So it, it is, it's nice to look at and seeing Kong actually be happy for the first time um, in this film. Although, although, of course, we know that this place will probably soon be desecrated because the whole idea, right, is to kind of lure Godzilla there. Well, I think, no, I mean, I think to the extent that, like, there's a plan that Apex has that makes sense, it's this, right? They mm -hmm. figure out how to cause Godzilla attacks. They figure out how to attract him places with this this thing. So they make him attack Pensacola. And I don't think that, I think their interest in Kong, to get into even more pseudoscience, is actually, yeah, so there's, like, three separate branches of pseudoscience in that initial conversation between Lind and, and Simmons. Because the other thing is that Simmons believes that there's an energy source uh that's all he calls it, an energy source that can be found in hollow earth that he's going mm -hmm. to use for his own purposes, which become clear later. So they have like, they, they kind of have two plans. One is Kong is going to get them this energy. The other is they're going to provoke Godzilla attacks. And mm -hmm. then they're going to unleash, you know, in, in Hong Kong, they're going to get Godzilla to attack Hong Kong. At that point, I don't think they care about Kong at all, as long as they have the energy source and then use that energy to power this mecha Godzilla thing they've constructed that will then defeat Kong restoring humanity's status as the apex species or whatever. So apex cybernetics. But um, yeah, so I, I don't think, I think Kong's just a means to an end for them. They think mm. he will lead them to hollow earth, um, right. but they don't, they don't care if he fights Godzilla. Godzilla cares if he fights Kong, but apex just wants to kill Godzilla. <laughs> That's it's, an a, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very complicated, it's, it's like the wire, you know, everyone has these interlocking motives. It's right. very complicated. It's and, very convoluted, <laughs> but important clarifications. Um, so, meanwhile, so Kong has found Hollow Earth, and Bernie and the kids have found Hong Kong, which I mentioned before, Godzilla, you know, historically is from Japan, Japanese, Gojira. But in this movie, Hong Kong is the other location, right? And I wonder if that's intentional, because Kong, and I just thought about that. <laughs> I'm Maybe. sure it was considered at some point. I mean, I think they just wanted a neon city, whatever that was. Right. So, okay, so you already kind of spoiled the the big reveal that we discover in Hong Kong, which is Mecha Godzilla. So, it's actually it ends up being Godzilla versus Kong versus Mecha Godzilla. I'm going to split him off. He's a different person than Godzilla entirely. So, this part is very strange. I want you to describe Mecha Godzilla to us because this is when it goes hardcore into not the classic kaiju, but more of a giant fighting robot <laughs> type right, movie. Right, right. We'll take a brief pause here to throw to an ad. We'll be right back. And we're back. Yeah, so Mecha Godzilla is this, uh, I mean, Mecha Godzilla has been around in these movies forever. Like in the mm -hmm. original one, uh, the first time he shows up, um, he's 
some sort of fake Godzilla built by aliens who want to take over Earth or something. He's made out of space titanium, but he always looks the same. He's like a silver robotic Godzilla that is designed to fight Godzilla. In later movies, he's usually designed by humans, which is how it works in this one. He's sort of supposed to be a Godzilla defense system, um, you know, which why would you want that? These guys are the villains for some reason. They want to they stop Godzilla. But anyway, so the kids arrive in Hong Kong. They've been in this cargo container with these monsters from Skull Island uh, that were contained or whatever. They get out and they're in this sort of like demonstration pit. Um, and it turns out that the monsters from Skull Island were being shipped there so that Mechagodzilla could kill them. And uh, they, as part of like a demonstration or test or whatever, Mechagodzilla kills one of them, uh, rips it apart. He has like a, like Godzilla has radioactive breath. He has some kind of red laser breath. He's basically Godzilla in silver and, and red. Um, and, Mechagodzilla manages to kill this creature and then immediately powers down because they don't have a power source, you see, which is what Kong's doing. They don't have a good enough, good enough power to run him or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Except that once Mechagodzilla powers up, I think that the thing that brought Godzilla to Pensacola was like Mechagodzilla's eye. Uh, it's this red sphere thing. Once that lights up, Godzilla starts headed, heading towards Hong Kong. Uh, although it was just, it was just a demonstration. So, well, that's going on. The kids escape the Skull Island monsters. They make it into Apex's sort of facility, and they find the control center for Mechagodzilla, which is a skull from, and we're back into pseudoscience, a skull from Jidora, the three-headed monster from Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which Bernie explains is some sort of like, I think he calls it an organic supercomputer. And to the extent they explain it, it's that Jidora, because he had these three heads, those heads communicated with each other using psychic abilities, which they have somehow <laughs> harnessed using the skull. Yeah. And are using that to communicate with Mechagodzilla. And the CTO is commanding him from this control center inside the skull, some sort of like VR rig. So just whatever, pseudoscience exposition, and then Godzilla arrives in Hong Kong. Yes, he's yeah, back. He is. It's uh it's bad it's bad news. It's bad news. Meanwhile, in Hollow Earth, Kong has discovered kind of like his ancestral home. Everyone's dead, but he finds this axe there that is made out of like scales from Godzilla's back, the ones that light up when he's about to shoot his radiation breath. And it turns out that that is associated with like the energy source down there. They find that. Kong uses it to charge his axe. And at that point, the people from Apex who are down there with him, the uh, Maya or whatever, Simmons' daughter, the woman who we've all been set up to hate, recklessly takes a sample <laughs> of the energy source, manages to do some kind of scan that allows Apex to immediately build the same thing and use it to power Mechagodzilla. Right. Uh, but the minute she does that, she, you know, they have the fight, you or the conversation you always have in these movies about, like, is science going too far? You can't be reckless with this stuff. And I don't know what sets it off, but in the middle of that conversation, these, like, bat things attack all the humans and kill most of the Apex soldiers. Uh, Maya makes it back to, like, her, her little vehicle. Yeah, her gravity inversion craft or whatever and flies off yeah. but um, and flies up. And at about the time they do that, I, I think we're meant to believe that charging the axe maybe tipped Godzilla off. Like set. Yeah, it's yes. not clear what's going on. But Godzilla basically walks to the center of Hong Kong and unleashes his radiation breath straight down and uses it to kind of dig a hole all the way into hollow earth, uh, into specifically into like the the very room where Kong is at that moment. So this, this giant radiation breath thing digs a hole, but it's the hole that goes straight back up to the surface. So Maya like wants to fly. She's got what she needs. She wants to just get the hell out of there. Kong's in the way. She orders her guy to shoot at Kong. So he moves, he does, they head towards the hole, but um, right before they get it, Kong grabs her ship, picks it up, looks in, sees her and just smashes it, blows it up. Um, Yep. She dies as we all, as the audience wants by this point. Um, as we yeah. all want. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, of course, it's like, she just did the thing that we, now that we are sort of set up to have some kind of emotional investment in Kong, specifically, you know, now he's back home, his whole family's gone, yada, yada. He has this relationship with Gia, the sympathetic avatar for the audience to project onto. Now that she does a bad thing to Kong, of course she has yeah. to die. Like it makes sense that this is now the moment that she dies, even if it is like much else of the, <laughs> of the movie contrived. But you know, the fact that Godzilla has just blown a hole right into hollow earth yeah. all of a sudden, like, okay, cool. Now we have an easy way to uh, go back up because otherwise 
you know, we'd have to travel back to Hong Kong and be a lot more of a lifting Kong in various uh, vehicles that cannot actually well, carry Well, sort of the same. Him. I mean, it's it's kind of great, actually, because, like, the, the screenwriters here just, just anytime that they have a problem that they need to get a character from one place to another, they just dig a hole through the earth. It's just, there's a hyperloop. Blow Godzilla a blows hole. a tunnel, whatever, you know, just, they've already dug the hole mm-hmm. in Antarctica, so it's there. It's, it's a quick fix. So now everything is shifting. We're basically... You know, we're out of Pensacola. We're now out of Hollow Earth because we have that easy yeah, hole. Kong climbs right back up, survives gravity inversion just by <laughs> climbing, apparently. But Climbs right up to the surface in Hong Kong. So now we are in Hong Kong, ready for the climactic battle that I was expecting this whole time, that I was waiting for. Um, so now it's time for Kong and Zilla to beat each other up. With a whole lot of neon. A whole lot of neon. So, yeah, pitch black, middle of the night. The city's lit up with neon all over. I think probably more neon than actually is in Hong Kong. I mean, it seems like it would be just an intolerable place to be uh, if it's if it's as bright as it is in the movies. But they have their big theme park battle. This is where it gets totally ridiculous because they just level the city. I mean, this is a fight where buildings just keep getting knocked over and knocked over and knocked over. And um, you occasionally will see shots from inside a building, but never with any people. Like they occasionally will frame like, you know, like an office conference room where you see Kong and Godzilla smashing it up outside that through the windows. And then of course, one of them goes through the window into the thing, but you don't really see many people outside of reaction shots of people like pointing and screaming or running away. Um, I mean, it's just a very bloodless destruction of a city, uh, which, I mean, which it has to be like the, the tone of this would be totally ruined if that was a, you know, if there were any real realism to what, uh, to what was going on there. I feel like we've mentioned before a lot of bloodlessness, <laughs> bloodlessness, <Yeah. laughs> um, a lot of neon pseudoscience. But is this movie self-serious or do you think this is, you know, emblematic of it being sillier? Where do we stand on the, the movie's tone at this point? I mean, I would say one thing about this movie's tone that I that I do not like at all, but it's kind of common of this level of filmmaking entirely is that it just doesn't, you don't get to make up your own mind about Mm -hmm. anything like this is because, I mean, I'm sure the logic is you have to get people to believe that Godzilla, who is just destroying Hong Kong is somehow a friend of humanity, which that's, that's kind of where they, they come down on this at the end of it. But um, so yeah, this is one of those movies that essentially anytime that you're supposed to feel something about something that's happened on screen, they're going to cut to a reaction shot of a character you like who will cheer or will grimace or will like, it's, it's a reaction shot movie. It's a, if you don't know how to feel about something, wait five seconds and the next shot Mm -hmm. will tell you. Um, And that just, just drives me up the wall, but it's, I can see why you would do that in a film like this because you have to get the audience or you want to get the audience to be like, yay, Godzilla just, you know, chopped a skyscraper in half. Like this is wonderful. Uh, Right. You know, when it's not. And I don't think that's necessarily a solvable problem, but I hate that solution. But I don't know. I guess I think the tone is like, it's just not ridiculous enough. I mean, I think it does take itself a little more seriously than it it it, it should or could, given there aren't any real characters in it. There's no, you know, no real emotional core to it. There's nothing. I mean, it, it's it's a movie where you get to watch monsters smash each yeah, other. Yeah, but then um, even even at that point, like, you know, we're finally getting to this big Hong Kong battle and it didn't feel like... It felt like a, a big relieving sigh after a lot of other stuff that really had no impact on me. And even this battle, right. I just have like zero original memory of other than like having to revisit it, you know, <laughs> like unless I provoked my my very latent ancient memory, if you will, like I did not none of it resonated with me. The, the battle, what did you think of the actual, the, the big fight, which is now, at this point, I mean, it starts out Godzilla versus Kong, right? And then it's Mecha Godzilla's right. thrown into the ring. Well, yeah, so so they have a, a whole fight before Mecha Godzilla even shows mm-hmm. up, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think one thing about it that really doesn't work, I saw someone make this point on Twitter, and I think it's right, is that there's not a lot of shots in that sequence that give you a sense of the scale of it. You don't see a lot of like human perspective of these giant feet snapping down and so on. Like in the, in the original Godzilla, the not the original Godzilla in the 2014 Godzilla, the first one of this sequence, um, there are a lot of shots where you sort of see the destruction framed by people. There's a shot I love in it, which is like, it's, it's an inside shot of an airport. Uh, I think it's Las Vegas um, that's being destroyed. (laughs) I don't know. 
doesn't much matter, but um, but it basically tracks this fight between. It, you see, like one of the monsters. You're inside an airport like concourse, and it, it's a it's a tracking shot that goes left to right, and you see one of the creatures on the left on the runway. That creature like causes an airplane to blow up. That airplane's explosion blows up another airplane, blows up another airplane, and you're still in this like insane concourse of people running and trying to get away and whatever. But just in the background, sort of silently, you just have this like rolling wave of destruction. And then uh, Godzilla's foot like stamps down. Also, again, you're just seeing it through the window like that. And that framing really just made the whole thing. Um, there's an attack on uh, another sequence in Las Vegas that works the same way. You just have these sequences where you're sort of like, oh, wow, these, these guys are huge and a whole lot of stuff is mm-hmm. getting wrecked. Um, but in this battle, like by the end of it, it's like the basically most of Hong Kong is is totally leveled. And I think that the minute that you start showing that stuff with any kind of real perspective, the minute you start framing it that way, you can no longer avoid the fact that like, you know, this is hundreds of thousands of dead bodies would be here, right? Like, um, I mean, I, 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 I see why they didn't go that route. I don't think you could do anything else, but it just it just feels a little... It feels a lot like Rampage or something. You know the yeah. video game Rampage yeah. where you smash buildings or whatever? It's just like these buildings getting knocked over without it really mattering at all. And there's no there's no stakes to right. it. Um, I mean, the only stakes are will Godzilla win or will King Kong win? And, you know. and at this point, like I think why that kind of bugged me where I'm no longer able to enjoy the thing that we're set up to or expecting to enjoy is that because is that the film does spend a lot of time with these human characters. Like, of course you need to have people who speak language, like, you know, who characters (laughs) that human beings can understand in order for a movie like this to even really function, I guess. But we're so deep into like, okay, these are the characters and their motives, regardless of whether or not those actually end up mattering. But it's what we were talking about before in terms of like the human costs. Like now we're seeing all these buildings leveled and et cetera. And I just no longer feel comfortable or like the movie even expects us to want to just watch these people punch each other without there being any repercussions. <laughs> These people, excuse me, these monsters. Yeah. <laughs> ah, see, they've tricked you. You're yeah, relating to the monsters. Yeah, they want me to. They want me to. Yeah, they, they won. <laughs> they won. So, but, so, so, so anyway, they have this fight. Godzilla has this ridiculous axe he's brought up from Hollow Earth. It turns out that axe can get charged if Godzilla shoots his... He can use it to block Godzilla's radioactive breath, and that also seems to power the axe up, like, somehow. Not, not entirely clear. Uh, but they have, they have this knockdown dragout fight, and Godzilla wins pretty definitively. He... Uh, manages to knock Kong over. He um, ends up with like his, his foot, I guess. What would you call the Godzilla? Godzilla foot. Claw. <laughs> yeah, I don't foot. Know. He has him on the ground. He's standing above him with his hand on his chest, but they've attained a grudging respect for each other or something. Godzilla like roars at Kong, you know, uh, in his face and Kong doesn't flinch and roars back. And Godzilla's like, all right, you're all right, I guess. And just kind of walks away. Sucks to be Hong Kong, but they've kind of, They've kind of bonded. And that's when Mechagodzilla shows up with Kong still on the ground, knocked out with Godzilla having shown him mercy or whatever. Mechagodzilla shows up and just starts kicking Godzilla's mm-hmm. ass. Like, it's not a it's not a close fight. Um, so even though at this point we're at Godzilla 2, Kong 0, the tables are turning yes. when you throw Mechagodzilla into the ring. Yeah. I mean, every fight is bad for the residents of Hong Kong, <laughs> but that one's also bad right. for Godzilla. And Mechagodzilla, um, again, is the you know, the Gundam of of the group. Uh, And he is being powered by the Apex dude with his VR. Um, So he is the one, right? At this point, he is still powering Mechagodzilla? Or has Mechagodzilla become sentient on his own? They they have that, you know, another one of those, like, you're being too reckless with the science conversations about using the new power source they brought up Mm -hmm. from Hollow Earth. They go ahead and do it. And I believe what happens is, is... immediately, pretty much immediately, the VR thing shorts out and kills the pilot, um, and Mechagodzilla attains sentience or something. It's not really clear. Maybe he's using Gojira's, uh, not Gojira, um, maybe he's using uh, that three-headed beast skull to to do his thinking, but um, yeah, they power him up, and within like five seconds, he seems to be controlling himself and immediately kills Walter Simmons, the the mm-hmm. head of Apex. Like, that's the first thing he does. Then he busts out and starts attacking 
uh, Godzilla, which I guess is sort of how you solve the problem of like, if Mechagodzilla is powered by a human and the idea is to protect Godzilla, then how do you get the audience to root for Mechagodzilla to be defeated? Right. And the answer is you turn Mechagodzilla into something that's no longer under the control of humans uh, and is just running around kicking ass. And I don't know why Mechagodzilla, thinking on his own, wants to kill Godzilla, I guess. <laughs> Another ancient rival. Yeah, or, or he's just, but, you know, he sees another thing his size and his instinct is just yeah. to kill um, what did you think of the Mecha Godzilla and Godzilla fight, especially you know with the history of Mecha Godzilla being from the franchise? Was that exciting to you? Because Mecha Godzilla was not something I even <laughs> I thought it was just one versus two. I didn't know it was one and two yeah. versus three. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, when I realized they were going to put Mecha Godzilla in it, I thought, well, that's great they're really going for it but it's i mean you know i i think i really do think that this is like a franchise or a plot world that basically falls apart the second that you have more than one monster in a movie that like you can make a good king kong movie you can make a good godzilla movie you can't make a good godzilla king of the monsters movie because as soon as you have like some of these creatures are good some of them are bad but they're all just destroying everything around them um i i just i you kind of lose me so i didn't um I don't think that adding Mechagodzilla broke anything that wasn't already completely broken <laughs> by the premise to begin with, let's say. So, uh, yeah, it was fine. Let's let's see a little variation in um, in giant creatures punching right. each other. But, th- I mean, that, that said, like, these fights, the Hong Kong fights are not, they look nice because of the, I guess it's just the Kong versus Godzilla fight that is still at night. It's dawn by the next, uh, the next big battle. But, um, yeah, they look fine, but they're not, like, they're not great set pieces. There's not a lot in them where I'm like, oh, that was really awesome, or this particular moment was cool, or whatever. Kong Skull Island has that. There are like some fights in that where it's just like, well, that's really smartly conceived, you know. I mean, which is kind of a you know the second order way to appreciate a movie to just be like, well, this didn't move me, but it was a clever idea or whatever like that. But this just doesn't. I, I felt that way about the convoy fight just because it was above the ocean, but the Hong Kong one was just like, yeah, it's just rampage. I mean, it's just, once again, we're just knocking over buildings. Right. Um, and the Mechagodzilla fight was more of the same. Meanwhile, Kong is like dying, <laughs> apparently. Gia tells us that his heart is slowing down. She can hear it because she's deaf. She talks to him. He's just kind of knocked out there. And they get this, again, we couldn't get through this without one more blast of pseudoscience. Um, and in this case, it's the idea that they can like restart Kong's heart by landing one of those... Uh, gravity inversion crafts atop it and blowing it up um, that it would produce an electrical charge that would defibrillate him or something. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But they do that. They land They land the craft atop Kong's chest and explode it, and that heals Kong Revives somehow. Him, yes. Um, yeah. And then Godzilla, Godzilla, Kong joins the battle, sees that Mechagodzilla is killing Godzilla, has some kind of feeling for Godzilla now, I guess, or just doesn't like Mechagodzilla and kicks Mechagodzilla's ass, rips his head right. off. Um, the, the two of them together, uh, you know, and that's, um, that's that. Then Godzilla goes back into the sea and swims away. And um, then, because again, dealing at all with the aftermath of an entire city getting wiped off the right. map would destroy the tone. We just cut past all that back to hollow earth where they set up a monitor, a new modern station for King Kong. And he's happily living in hollow earth. Um, and so are humans, apparently, although it seemed like a very deadly place. Yeah, it literally killed (laughs) Dr. Lin's brother, but it's okay. No trauma there. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of sweet. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is the movie actually working on me, is I found it sort of sweet that (laughs) Kong and Godzilla kind of were able to shake hands, be friends, and fight the common evil. I think that was the part where I was like, okay, yeah, kill Mechagodzilla. It somehow worked. (laughs) It somehow worked for me, even though I was not... Not uh, yeah. particularly moved by Gia, the again the only heart <laughs> of the movie, and I felt as though we were biased toward Kong in terms of trying to sympathize with him, and there's really no reason to sympathize with Godzilla at all, um, right? Like there's really no moment where he is set up to be a good guy, even though. Well, there are lots of people who tell you he's yeah. a good guy. Like, that's all that ever happens in these movies is that they say Godzilla is like, he's like one of the good ones and he protects humans or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, 
It yeah. doesn't, though. <laughs> really, like, thanks. I'll, I'll do without Especially that Especially in this case where, but, you know, I feel as though we are more siding. We're supposed to side with Kong, and all that Godzilla has done is beat up Kong. Although he didn't kill him. That's true. He did not kill him. And there is something nice about yeah. that. But we do get to see them beat up Mechagodzilla, and that's nice. But I do feel cheated out of the fact that I was promised a victor, I thought, between Godzilla and Kong. And even though it ends up being Godzilla did win against Kong more than Kong won against Godzilla, both are winners in their own ways. And I <laughs> did, I wanted a winner. I wanted one winner. You wanted somebody, one, one of them to rip off the other. Yes, I wanted the, some. Drink the brain juice or whatever it is that Kong does. Someone some to walk away, bender from the Breakfast Club style, fist in the air. <laughs> and they're like, heck yeah, I won. I beat up that other guy's ass. But instead they get to hold hands and do it together and everyone's happy. Um, you do have a winner, though. If Godzilla had decided to kill Kong, that would have been the end of it. Like one radiation blast to the face and we're done. But. Which would have been great. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, the movie spent so much time trying to show you that Kong is essentially human. Like he showers, he loves running around outside. Like there's so much they they, they you never actually do you ever see Godzilla doing anything but attacking in these movies? He just sort of shows up and No, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. You don't. He just is you know, lasering uh <laughs> It would be kind of great. If, I mean, cuz that character Godzilla that's, is just sort of like this incomprehensible force right like it's just there's not a lot of his motivation there whereas kong they're pretty clear ones uh i would appreciate a movie that set up kong to be this just incredibly sympathetic figure and then had godzilla melt his face off his skull in their first encounter right i that's kind of what i wanted i wanted just a lot of punching (laughs) alternatively it would be fun if we got some human humanization i suppose for godzilla uh, not in an anthropomorphic sense necessarily, but if there is some sort of reason to emotionally sympathize with him. For some reason, my first thought is Godzilla reading a newspaper, which is anthropomorphic. But I want <laughs> I want to feel validated in my preference for Godzilla. Oh, I see. I see. Um, I see. Well, yeah. But ultimately, so we've, we are finally at the credits, thank God. Yeah. And <laughs> ultimately, there is a sort of happy ending, and it is the conclusion to this new wave of Godzilla and Kong movies, theoretically. So would you would you consider this to be a satisfying ending to this cycle of movies? I mean, for it to be a satisfying ending, it would have to be a satisfying cycle, and to me it's not. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I would say no. But on the, at the same time, I would say, but don't make another movie to try to resolve that. I'm fine. You can just, you can let it right. be Right. You're, you're satisfied in that you don't, you're not craving another one of these. Well, I mean, I think it's just sense. something where you have this arms race in the sequels that you have to add more monsters, you have to destroy more cities, you've got to be more spectacular. And at a certain point that becomes so detached from any kind of, I mean, you can't talk about reality. You're talking about giant lizards and so on, but any kind of human connection that really is part of, you know, those original movies, Um, not Mm -hmm. the Showa era, like the baby Godzilla stuff, but, um, and I think, you know, if you're going to keep making them at that point, it's time to reboot it. You know, you got to go back to the, these movies have to have the scene where like the scientist figures out the new thing or whatever that they, they have to do that. But when you open in a world where people have adjusted to the fact that there are like, you know, 50 or 60 of these giant creatures that will just show up and randomly destroy cities, you're not really talking about a recognizable society to us anymore. And I think that you're written into a corner there. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I've only seen this one and I feel fine never seeing another one. I, um, I would recommend Kong Skull Island to you if you have any interest in just kind of the action stuff. That is a fun, funny movie. I have heard that. I've heard that that's a more entertaining movie. And I do love John Goodman. Yeah, he's good um, in it. Right. I mean, but in I, mean terms of, I, I say he's good in it. It's not like in the list of great John Goodman performances. There's right. nothing to do there. But he's he's always fun to watch and he's fine. Right. But, um, you know, there is like this overarching story that this that led to to this movie and in that sense I don't I feel like if I cared at all about that story <laughs> I probably would not feel satisfied with like the Madison uh situation or Eileen or Dr. Lind but I don't care about them unfortunately this movie spends a lot of time with them so I you know if I were a fan I'd probably be kind of annoyed and as someone who just wants to see monsters I was not particularly enthused but a lot of people did 
enjoy this movie. I watched it with someone and he thought it was a lot of fun. We both agreed it was very forgettable. Neither of us can point out any specifics um, anymore. I'm sure now I can. I can recount the whole plot to him, but he doesn't care. Um, but, well, you know, I, I just found it to be a snooze. Yeah, yeah. I would um, – I mean, I think that's it. Like, if you're going to do one of these movies and make it work, you have to have the scenes that don't have the monsters work on their own terms and be interesting and so on. And this just doesn't do that, um, right. I didn't think. Uh, and it sounds like you didn't think either. Uh, you know, for this to be the climactic finale – Pretty let down, but if you want to make a supercut of all the previous fights leading up to the fights in this movie, that might feel like a big satisfying or at least fun watch. But to me, otherwise, watch this guy on uh, 1.5 speed if you can. And uh, <laughs> I can't just... endorse that. I can't endorse that. If you're going to watch it, watch it the way they wanted you, you to. You got to watch it the way you got to watch uh, it. That's, that's true. Um, Matthew Desim. Allegra Frank. Thank you for translating this movie to me thank you for talking to me about it i really enjoyed the conversation i will be taking a very 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 heavy nap after this. <laughs> all right so watch out for godzilla attacks <laughs> and that's our show please subscribe to the slate spoiler special podcast feed and if you like the show please rate and review it in the apple podcast store or wherever else you get your podcasts if you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Morgan Flannery. For Matt Desim, I'm Allegra Frank. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful nap. <laughs>